Locked On Lakers podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined by Pete Zayas. Pete, literally nothing has happened. That's right. That's right. Hopefully the Lakers will play on, on Thursday. Hopefully. Um, That's the hope. Yeah. Um, and hopefully they, like we said yesterday, play, stay quiet, get out, come home. Right. Yeah, get home safe. There is, by the way, no guarantee that they actually play. And there's increasing fear based on some reports that they aren't going to play. Um, in the event, it's been really remarkable how this has taken off. By the way, how yeah. this story and how just the ramifications of it have really blown up. Well, both sides they're just escalating against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 kind of what was always going to happen, and we're just going to wait to see who blinks. And you know, so far the NBA hasn't blinked. If anything. It, you know, Adam Silver's first statement was a bit of a blink, you know, it was a bit of a, okay, we'll try to appease you. And then China, like, doubled down after sure. after they did that. And now Silver is saying, all right, fine. Uh, freedom of speech is a very important American ideal, and we're going to back up Daryl Morey for his freedom mm-hmm. to express himself. That's right. right. As he should say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now what we're getting is... So far, uh, the G League showcase that was going to take place has been canceled. There was going to be a mm-hmm. uh, like a, an educational center um, and and kind of fitness center for youth that was that was going to be put in place. That uh, has been canceled. I don't know about the center itself, but at least the opening, the grand opening, the ceremony surrounding it that has been canceled. Um, and now, as we said earlier, there is is increasing doubt based on reports coming out of China that now the games themselves are going to be canceled. The, the, the two preseason games that the Lakers are going to play over there. So, um, but the, uh, even while that's gone on, Kyle Goon said that he spoke to an NBA spokesperson and said that, and that spokesperson said that as of right now, no further cancellations are expected. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, the spokesperson also said that's subject to change. So, as of right now, the Lakers are supposed to play here in about what thirty six hours. <laughs> if you, like, yeah, that sounds soon. that sounds about right. Yeah, four thirty in the morning Pacific on Thursday. Yeah, so you know, as of right now, all I know is that if they make me wake up or stay awake until four thirty, and then cancel the game at four fifteen. <laughs> Your boy's not going to be pleased. <laughs> I can right. say that. But but we'll see how that thing goes. As of right now, I think the Lakers are playing it smart. I think everybody there is intentionally very, very quiet on this front. Mm-hmm. Um, we've started to see the first kind of trickles out of uh, response from coaches around the league. Steve Kerr said he was not informed on it. Doc Rivers said he was not informed on it. Greg Popovich went on a completely different tangent um, praising Adam Silver. So I think what we're what we're finding out, and then there was an, a memo sent out throughout ESPN saying to stay away from Chinese politics, right? That was reported earlier today. So basically, everybody is just kind of in this holding pattern until the next thing happens, and that's kind of where we find ourselves. We are in that similar holding pattern, waiting for the next shoe to drop. Whether or not that's, right. that's LeBron James, Nike, who knows? But we're waiting for the next shoe to drop. 
Well, there, there are a lot of people, you know, it's funny you say sh- that, that analogy of shoot or drop, right? Like there are a lot of financial interests. And like I said yesterday, mm-hmm. everyone's trying to protect their money. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, something like ESPN being like, don't talk about this now for one. And this is my position specifically as it relates to the Hong Kong protest, which is what Maury's tweet was about. Mm-hmm. There's plenty to criticize about the Chinese regime Absolutely. and, and how their human rights abuses and all of that. Um, but specific to, you know, Maury's tweet and how that is received in China, I can't speak to that, yeah. right? Um, my understanding of the Hong Kong protests is that they're like Joe Tsai, who just bought the, uh, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets, Nets mm-hmm. had, um, you know, a long Facebook post. And, and he's, uh, I, I don't know if he's from China. I, I know that he's, um, that he made a good amount of his money there mm-hmm. and has a lot of experience there in the business world. Um, and anyway, he, you know, was explaining about the opium wars and all that. And, you know, it, it rang a little hollow to me because, like, my understanding is the Hong Kong protests are from the people of Hong Kong. It's yeah. not an imperial power half a world away gobbling up your territory because you're, you've got this kind of weak uh, monarchy in place, right? Anyway, I, I, I digress. Yeah. Um, so, but specific to Hong Kong, like, yeah, we want to, you know, I want to learn more about, you know, the Chinese side of things. I am always inclined to see, to fight against the authoritarian side yes. and side with the people. That's, so that's definitely my inclination, right? Um, that's where America tends to side. Like, we, we literally fought, well, I mean, parts of Not America. as much as I wish. Uh, <laughs> as I wish it's fair point, fair point. Anyway, but uh, yeah, but yeah it, when it comes to ESPN and, and the NBA, like, they, like, people have got to be cussing Daryl Morey's name, because yeah. it was, it, we've had a nice little relationship. And when I say we, I'm talking the NBA, which I'm not involved in Mm -hmm. at all. Right. So I don't know why I say we, but the NBA has had a nice relationship with China for a long time now in terms of we take your money. We don't really give too much thought about how you do things. And we spread our game. If anything, we actively (laughs) turn a blind eye to the, to the fingers in our ears and go, (laughs) right. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, and that is becoming increasingly di- increasingly difficult to do mm-hmm. in light of all of this, right? So this was seemed like kind of a sleeping dog or sleeping giant that's been woken up. Um, yeah, and it's it's interesting to see where that goes. It is. It's going to be fascinating. It's it's wild. We are watching two very American ideals clash up against each other, where we <laughs> value freedom of speech. But we and also yeah. hugely value capitalism. So mm-hmm. it's wild to watch this kind of battle take place out in the forefront of, of what everything is, how everything is playing out right now. But again, this is a Lakers podcast. I only brought that stuff up again because as of right now, we aren't sure that the Lakers are going to play their next two preseason games. We don't know. I mean, the Lakers are in China right now. Like they it are. does have, like you got to at least wonder in the, uh, um, my, my old buddy Chuck wagon from back in the music days commented on Twitter today. He was like, man, just pack these dudes up, hop on a plane and get home. Like it yeah. ain't worth it. And I think that there's some, that's the validity sentiment. to that. Right? There's that. Yeah. And, and like what's security, like what is the, you know, how much of this is government bluster versus are the Lakers going to take the court and there's an actively hostile crowd. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's what it is, but I don't know the situation well enough from the Chinese end to be able to. So anyway, I I just hope that there are uh, the NBA and the Lakers are taking 
whatever security measures are necessary to get, to really get a feel for the situation to know what they're getting into. Yeah, and that's I, that's I've been surprised, not necessarily surprised, but uh, I have really noticed the amount of people who are just saying, you know what, man, it's not worth it. Just bring the Lakers home for on multiple fronts. On one front, because why continue to support China as they try to put a muzzle on an American citizen who is uh, utilizing their ability to, to, to speak free, freely on, on a subject, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you have that going on where it's like this is, this is a, an easy call is, has been what I keep on hearing is that this is an easy call, that this is democracy versus communism. It's, it's not quite an easy call, though, because you have so much literal invested, investment on the NBA's part, on the players' parts, right, in China. There, there is a, a literal investment in China right now that, that complicates things. And what we're, what we're seeing right now is how far are we willing to, to take morality over the capital gain that you stand to continue to benefit from this relationship with China. And, and we're going to see how this thing plays out. Um, I'm, I'm more and more of the mind, though, that, you know what, just get out of there. Get out of there safely. I don't even. It's just two preseason games. The travel right. isn't even good for you anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So just get back home, keep everybody safe, and and it's going to have ramifications if that is the if that is the move. That that those ramifications are going to be felt by a lot of people because. You know, the Lakers, not the Lakers, well, the Lakers too, uh, but the NBA has enjoyed a ton of expansion and, and, you know, you see these contracts that are through the roof right now and you see the salary cap continue to grow and a lot of that has to do with the global expansion of the league mm-hmm. and those ramifications of just, if they just choose to leave and in some way, shape or form cut off this this uh, relationship here, that's going to be felt by a lot of people and, and, and we'll see how that actually plays out. Yeah, I mean, I I have no way of knowing what level of danger, if there is at all, the team and the the people who've traveled over there mm-hmm. are in. Um, but yeah, from a from an ignorant standpoint, yeah. admittedly ignorant on my end, um, you know, when you're not sure, you know, err on the side so i i'm in you know you asked me if i was worried yesterday and i was like nah it's you know there shouldn't be and then just as this has continued to escalate it's like huh maybe mm-hmm. i was i jumped the gun a little bit on that and and, and maybe not you know maybe yeah it's still totally going to be fine they'll play on on thursday the crowd will be all into it and let's hope that's that's how it works out but yeah. just definitely hoping hoping for them to get out of there safely yep all right let's take a quick second here when we come back we have we still have a ton of questions to get to to catch back up over the course of this week and be ready and these questions are still going to keep coming in in even larger numbers as we get closer to the um to the beginning of the season, to the to, to opening night. So continue to get your questions in in the form of a five-star review. I'm going to do my absolute best to continue to answer these questions as best we can. Uh, but hang tight. When we come back, we will start with uh, Anthony Davis's natural talent or, or God-given talent, whatever, however you want to put it, um, and the way that he's taken advantage of it compared to other players who have – maybe squandered it so we'll talk we'll start there and we'll we'll go wherever the questions take us All right, so like I said, the first question here comes from QBreezy12. In 2013, I came to a hot take that Anthony Davis may not go down as an all-time great, but might 
be a purely talent as purely talented as anyone to ever play the game uh do you agree and has there ever been a player you saw generational talent in before it materialized and or thought it ever would but never did so there's three different questions here one do you agree that anthony davis might just be seen as a talent talent but not necessarily an all-time great i think it's too early to to see that i want to see him play alongside somebody like lebron rather than be stuck in New Orleans where his best teammate, while I love Drew Holiday, was Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second and, you know, kind of 2A, 2B here is who was, like, which player did you recognize generational talent in quickest that you can remember? And which player did you recognize generational talent, but they never lived up to it? So I'll let you start with the first part, though. So I think I can answer both of them in the same player, and that's David Robinson. Okay. Um, AD reminds me of David Robinson, uh, and Robinson was a guy, he came into the league at 23 or 24 years old mm-hmm. because he served in the Naval Academy, and he was one of those guys where you're like, yeah, that guy's like an, going to be an absolute stud, yeah. and he was. He's built right? like a superhero. And he, yeah, he could run the floor like, like a two guard. Um, he could shoot. If he played in the modern game, he would be able to stretch the floor out to the, like mm-hmm. the way that Anthony Davis plays is very similar to how David Robinson played. Right. Uh, Darius the other night compared him to like Kevin Garnett. I like David Robinson as a comparison a little bit more because Robin wasn't physical, but he was more physical than Garnett was. Mm-hmm. Right. And Anthony Davis can beat you with that. Right. We saw that in the golden state game where he was just overwhelmingly dominant, right. With his athleticism and size combination that said, Robinson is not like you have to have a looser definition of all time. Great. Yeah. In order to include David Robinson mm-hmm. in that conversation. So I can see where that listener is coming from in terms of that question in that, like, uh, there was a, and I always kind of, you know, give side eye to these things. So I don't know if this is true, but like so, some reporter made a comment about how LeBron, like Anthony Davis loves watching movies and LeBron wants him to watch more game film. Yeah. And that I was from see, McMinniman like, earlier. Today. Was that from Yeah. Uh-huh. And so like, who knows? I don't know if that's true or not. I can't speak to AD's level of watching film. He's a very smart player. And I think it's hard to be yeah. as to have that like applicable basketball IQ without watching tape or without like really studying the game on some level. So I have some skepticism about the truth of that. Right. But oftentimes in different sports, when somebody has like prodigy type of talent, they don't focus as hard as other guys who, who don't on developing that right mm-hmm. now. Now ad has gotten a lot better and Robinson got a lot better too. Right. But it's like, if you look at how say Giannis came into the league versus how Anthony Davis came into the league, right. Giannis has made more strides from then till now than ad has. Now ad has gotten a lot better and Giannis yeah. is one of those all time improvement type of guys. Right. But does God, I sound like an old time 80s sports talk radio host with what I'm about to say. But does AD have the edge <laughs> to become an all time great? Does are you, he have the are you asking if he has mama mentality? Yeah, basically, that's what I'm <laughs> that's what I'm asking. And I don't know, like you said, man, his best player was Drew Holiday, right? Yeah, it's just one of those things where like I could see it's not what I believe necessarily, but I could see how somebody else would be like, huh, I wonder if he's one of those type of guys. Robinson is a good example um, I, so this player that I'm going to bring up 
I wouldn't say had like generational talent, right? That, that like he could have been a Hall of Famer or anything like that. Um, but as I was reading this question, J.R. Smith came to mind. And okay. J.R. Smith is one of, I can't imagine very many players who have won three point contests and, and dunk contests. Right, mm-hmm. as individually talent, uh, talented a player as you'll ever hope to see, right? But because he was a bit of a knucklehead, never quite put it together. So, like that's the example of like the the negative, like incredible talent that I saw out there, but never really put it together. Um, mm-hmm. Robinson is a good example. Like I don't think you can be considered all time great and have a series like he had against Hakeem Olajuwon. Because Olajuwon right. ripped him to shreds, right? right? So, and that was the year that Robinson won the MVP, right? That was yeah. Robinson at the height of his powers, and like, and there was there will be series, you know, where another guy gets the best of you, but that was an all time <laughs> in that, right? Yeah, that and, was. And I, like, I, I like the Robinson comparison because like AD is going to be a Hall of Famer, help mm-hmm. willing, right? And so is David Robinson is in is in the Hall of Fame, so it's not like AD is not going to be great. It's just that all time yeah. upper top 10 15 of all time because he has top 10 15 all time type of talent you know yeah i i want to see how this year plays out i really do um especially you know now if it's if it's like lebron kind of dragging davis kicking and screaming to the heights that we think davis can reach then that's a little different but i really do honestly believe that davis was just like boogie is another guy boogie had had generational talent and he just I, I you would sit there and wonder like what is holding this guy back but he played for the kings and if you were to ask me like hey find another organization that's the laughing stock to the level that the kings were there's the new orleans pelicans who had a training staff that they shared with the new orleans saints right like mickey loomis ran the new orleans pelicans for a really long time he's a football dude and mm-hmm. and so, yeah, it's hard for me to, to, to hold those years against Davis, though, you know, usually, like even Garnett was able to drag Minnesota kicking and screaming to a Western Conference Finals. Um, mm-hmm. David Robinson, you know, now he had a lot more success once Tim Duncan showed up, obviously, but... You know, he was still able to to attain a little bit of team success that mm-hmm. Davis wasn't able to to this point of his career. So, yeah, right. I mean, I think it's it's somewhat fair, even while it's somewhat unfair. That that kind of gray area that and, I mean, and when dude's twenty six, man, he's twenty six. When you're talking you know, like, about all time greatness, you're splitting hairs, and that's kind of yes. what you have to do here with these guys. And right. and if I if I, I don't blame you at all if you were to split the hair on the negative side versus the positive with Davis, it's it's just your call. Uh, next question here comes from international Laker fan. Hey Anthony and Pete, love the content uh, content guys, and I appreciate all your work during the dry summer months. Ah, oh, thank God we're out. Uh, so I'll be in L.A. during the week of Thanksgiving, and I was thinking of watching the Lakers versus Wizards. As a non-L.A. resident, I was hoping to get any tips on game day stuff, tours of Staples Center, uh, or the practice facilities, if that's a thing, food to eat there. Also, I'm probably going to get nosebleeds, but I was wondering if it'd be better to save up and uh, spend it on some 100-level seats in the future instead. Let's start with the food. A, a bit of a... Man, you guys are gonna level me for criticizing the Lakers again. Staples Center food high key sucks. Like, yeah, it's like it's all right. I mean, it's very generic. Like, you, yeah. you go to a Dodgers game 
And you, you know, you get like the garlic fries that they offer there, or you get like the carne asada fries. You go to the right spot and you and you find that stuff. Actually, the the best food if you go to Staples Center, in my opinion, that you can get are those hot dogs. Those like those hot dog vendors that are, that are outside. <laughs> they smell way better than they taste, in my opinion. Like I always, need- I walk in because I take the train normally yeah. to the games, and I'll get and I'll walk by, and like every once in a while, I'll be like, I, yeah, get me one. And yeah. then I, I'm always disappointed with how good they taste because they smell so good. Yeah. And then like I ate them, they're like, yeah, they're okay. You know what they need to up? Like they need what they what game they need to up on on those little carts? Don't don't say pineapple, please. <laughs> I wasn't gonna, but now that you mention it, um, no. But they need a salsa. Like they need a better salsa, like mm. a, a hot dog, because like hot dog meat is hot dog meat. It's it's not, it's not like a, a steak that you can get away with, you know, not having proper sauce around a steak. Because if you're eating a good steak, that's just a good tasting meat. You know, fish is like the same way to a certain extent, but a hot dog is a hot dog. So you kind of need better sauce that to, to accompany the the hot dogs there. All right, so so where do we send this dude to eat then? If like, do you think LA Live is a better uh, is a better option than eating at Staples in the first place? Probably, I think so. Uh, He's coming from out of town, right? So he's got some time. He doesn't got to get home, right, to go to work the next day. I would honestly, if you have, if you're able to get far enough away or this far enough away from Staples Center, I would send you to Apple Pan. Like that Mm -hmm. to me is really good. Good burgers. Good, yeah. yeah. That's Good where old I, that's where time I would go. diner type. Yeah. yeah. So where would you send them? Uh, you know, if they want to stay in the general vicinity, I, you know, it's maybe it's cliche. I like the yard house. They got a good selection of beers, like chicken nachos are good, you know, and like they got it, like, it's, it's good. Like bar American bar fare, you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, and it's w- walking distance from Staples. I, I agree. I would probably eat outside of staples if i yeah. you know if i was making a trip Korea to la town, like everything right. oh, oh, oh bro yeah yeah if you want to go you know if if he's got the time to travel to out uh, to koreatown uh you know so there are tons of different places to to go outside of staples um there yeah there are a couple of good spots in la live you're going to pay for it because of mm-hmm. the convenience of it but um yeah it, in terms of and then in terms of things to do in LA touristy wise what would be your uh, your recommendations I mean, L.A. itself is kind of a tourist attraction. thing I didn't – we're remiss in not mentioning them, although I think they might be closed. The last couple of times I've tried to check them out, there's that Mexican restaurant that's like right across the street from Staples Center. And they're like – their house margarita, they bring it out and it's like set on Oh, yeah. Fire. I think they're closed. I know the place you're talking about. I think they closed down. Oh, man. That was yeah. a bummer because they had really right, right good caldo the, too. Right by the Hooters? Yeah. Yeah. That, that place closed down. Man, that's a bummer. But yeah, that's tourist-wise, like I don't know, Universal. I guess I, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, so like if you have the time to be able to go to Universal Studios, like that's great. I don't think the Lakers really do practice facility tours. Yeah, they you have to like they will do it, but it's for like season ticket holders yeah. or special events. I don't think it's not it's not something you can really really book. I don't think there's a Staples Center tour either. No, um, and it's not you the know kind of got, building that has. It's not like the Forum. Like the forum, mm-hmm. I, you take a tour there, you walk through the hallways, and you feel like this is history. Staples Center sure. doesn't; it's 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 a little too wiped down for me for that with that kind of vibe. Mm. Yeah, I could see that because they share um, it. So right, right, yeah. And and in terms of like tourist attractions in LA, like it really, LA has got something for whatever you are into. Yeah. So I'd have to. I I don't like giving recommendations for tourist stuff if I don't know the person or what they like. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, if like if you're into it, LA has it. Yep. All right, uh, we'll go. Let's take another quick second here. When we come back, we're going to answer a few more of your questions. All right, so Big Timer writes, I know it's one preseason game, but one observation I have is with the Lakers' size, teams that go small had better hit shots. If they, uh, if not, they sure as hell, uh, they sure as hell are not getting the board. This guy's pumped as he wrote this. You know how you can just like tell as, as uh-huh, somebody writes uh-huh. it? Uh, just watched like that first half. Yeah. And, like, Anthony Davis just raw. Yeah. Right, right. Three straight drunks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the Lakers are going to dominate rebounding the ball. Also, Avery Bradley is going to be a terror on the perimeter. Can't wait for the, can't wait for the first shoving incident between him and Patrick Beverly. Um, I don't think Bradley's really the kind of guy who's going to get in somebody's face, but you know, maybe Rajon Rondo will, will will mix it up a little bit and get suspended. Um, but for in terms of like the rebounding stuff, so we kind of touched on this last show. Um, and my question is whether or not so that was like a perfect storm of team that they could have played, right? Like Omari Spellman's the starting center, and and Draymond Green is is post extension shape in October. <laughs> you know how like college football teams book like yeah. Bob's underwater basket weaving weaving college yeah. to play Alabama in yeah. the first two weeks. It was kind of like that. Yeah, it felt like that. Do we think that? So the physicality, I think, is going to be able to extend to most teams. But what makes me a little nervous are the good teams. Because, like, the good teams have the Go-Bears, the Jokic's. Um, even when, when, when Golden State is at their best, like, Draymond Green's actually going to care on the court out there in a, in, in when, when a game matters. Uh, you can go, did I say Embiid? Um, like, those, all those, a lot of the teams that the Lakers are going to be facing do have somebody, Clint Capella, who do present some of those problems. That's actually why I'm a little less nervous about the Clippers, is that they don't. Right. I See, I I think the Lakers, I think the only other team in the NBA that matches Lakers' physicality is Philly. Yeah. Um, because, especially in a starting lineup, JaVale is not particularly physical, right? No. But he's big. He can handle your bigs. Then you've got Anthony Davis. Then you've got LeBron James. Then you've got Dwight Howard coming off of the bench. Mm-hmm. You've got a big guard in Danny Green. You've got a guy with good strength and, and length in Avery Bradley. I do think the Lakers are exceptional in that respect. My big concern on the defensive end is can we defend the three-point line? Yeah. That was something that the Golden State shot like crap, but they had a lot of open looks yeah. on a lot of like I did a, a couple rewatches on this one specifically for the defensive end and Amari Spellman is like a theoretical pick and pop big mm-hmm. and he he had a lot of wide open looks man like if that's Brooke Lopez or Jokic or some of the other stretch fives in the NBA I have questions. Can we get, because I know we can protect the rim. Mm -hmm. Can we get out to the three point line? Our transition defense was bad in that respect. And we got a little lucky on them missing, you know, some of those spot up wing threes when everybody collapses into the paint. Like I, I know we've got that rim protection. Can we defend on the perimeter? Because I think that when the Lakers defend at their worst, teams are going to be hitting 12 to 15 threes on us in an individual game because we're not defending the three-point line very well. I I agree with the concern, absolutely. Uh, The one nice thing about being really physical is that it it can take shooters out of their element. Right, like if, that's true. 
if you if, if like Nikola Jokic is sitting there banging bodies with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard for 48 minutes, do, will he have the stamina with the dad bod that he does to be able to step out there and hit three-pointers, right? Joel Embiid is a freak of nature in terms of sky, size and skill and all these things, uh, but not necessarily known for an, an off-season regimen that rivals that of the all-time greats, right? He he said that his his focus this season was to be more intense while having the same dietary kind of goals that he sets on a yearly basis, right? So, I mean, he, he drank Shirley Temple's sure, like, really, really seriously. Um, <laughs> so, like, like yes, the, the concern about the three-point shooting is, is absolutely one that we should all share. I just hope that if the Lakers are as physical as I think they can possibly be, that it takes some of those shooters a little bit, you know, just knocks them off the rhythm just enough to mitigate against it. Yeah, that's that's fair. And when we're in those higher leverage games, it's it's just about it's simple stuff. It's not that they can't get out there. It's that like LeBron not picking up his man in transition or AD did that a couple of times where he just dropped into the paint when guys are locked in defensively. This was one preseason game, right? Mm -hmm. When they're locked in in those playoff type moments, those guys are making those rotations and are not only capable, they've got that size and speed and length to be able to really bother teams in that respect. So I just want to know, I don't expect 82 games of it. I want to know that they can defend the three point line, that they can defend stretch fives with this type of personnel that they have. And if they can do it and they've got that switch to flip, you know, if there is a handful of games this season where they don't, it's, I get it. It's 82 games, but if they're capable of it, we're in good shape in the playoffs because I know we can protect the rim. Yep. The other thing I like about the the roster buildup defensively, and the next question is kind of it kind of reiterates a lot of the stuff that we were just talking about. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read it though. Yankees fan seven three six nine two. It was in a lot of detail, so I give you credit for for thinking about it the way that you did. Um, the Lakers don't have anybody on their roster that I can think of who, when they're beat, they're just flat. Other than Rondo, but when they're beat, they're just flat out beat. Like. When somebody blew by Vita Zubats, that he was out of the play. He was not. Right. He didn't. He didn't have the quickness to get back and contest in any way, shape, or form. Whereas, if somebody gets by, especially Davis, like you now have to think about Davis on your shoulder the whole way you go to the basket. Mm-hmm. Javale McGee is long enough to be able to impact the play as well. Dwight Howard moves his feet pretty well, um, given how bulky he is. So that's that helps to combine. So what you're hoping is. Can you close out quick enough to make a three-point shooter think? And if you are closing out, can you stay in the play well enough so that that shooter who is now dribbling to the basket is still thinking about you as he goes by you? And I think the Lakers are able to take care of that. All right, February's very own writes, Hey, Anthony, long-time listener, love the content. Thank you. This is a question for you, and I would like to get Pete's reaction to your answer. Uh, After the first preseason game, I have to admit that Rondo will be a very important piece to our offense. He threw 80 great lobs, pushed the pace, and hit a couple wide-open three-pointers. I agree that Rondo shouldn't start, but I think he should get most, if not all, the point guard. Like, my eye is twitching. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When LeBron is off the floor with 80 on it. It is very easy to see uh, that having a playmaker maximizes AD and their chemistry will be important when we monitor LeBron's minutes more to the season. So blah, 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 blah. Should Rondo get the the non-LeBron minutes? It's Um, it's worth having a conversation about. I know your eyes twitching and I I don't agree (laughs) with the premise either, but these are things that we should be talking about. 
where I basically stand on Rondo is I have now I, I've gotten to this point, you know, kicking and screaming, and I'm not necessarily happy about it, obviously, but my coping mechanism is okay. Rondo was going to play. Is there a role that he fits that isn't doesn't make him a complete disaster, right? Yeah, like, so like what's the best version of this if he has to play? If he has to play, and and now hopefully over the course of the year, the team will recognize that. Okay, yeah, I know he he probably shouldn't be playing, but here we are. You have to find a role for Rondo, and the role that is described here, where he plays alongside Davis when LeBron is sitting, is really the only one that that seems to fit. That's right. I think that's something that no matter where you stand on Rondo, that that's the version where everybody feels he's going to be the best. Yep. Let's go uh, a couple more questions here. Oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. So, so he wanted me to respond. This is my counter to that. Sorry for okay. jumping in here because the, so Rondo is the best playmaker amongst the point guards, right? I think that's a bit of, uh, I don't mean this pejoratively. I just can't think of a better term. I think it's a bit of fool's goal. I'm not calling that listener a fool. I just think that it's a little that it's, it's not as good as it appears to be on its surface. Rondo dominates the ball in mm-hmm. half court possessions. So he's going to get assists as a function of having the ball for 10, 12 seconds of the shot clock. If this initial action didn't work, get the ball back to Rondo. We run a high ball screen and he is not going to shoot out of it nope. uh, or very rarely. And he's going to pass to the detriment of the offense. I would argue that the decrease that you get from going from Rondo to Caruso in playmaking or Rondo to even Quinn cook in yep. terms of playmaking in the G league, a couple of years ago, Quinn cook was like an eight assist per game guy. He was like a top of five assist guy in the G league. Mm-hmm. It's the G league of course, but in terms of stylistically, he does have some degree of playmaking in his repertoire. I would argue that the drop off there is not as significant as the drop-off that you get for having Rondo on the defensive end versus Mm -hmm. Caruso or shooting versus cook. So I think that, that yes, the Rondo AD chemistry isn't even hypothetical or theoretical. We've seen it, not Mm -hmm. just this game, but we've seen them play together in new Orleans. I would argue that that's not the only way that the second unit can work offensively and that there's benefits to be had from the shooting of Cook and to a lesser extent Caruso and even more so on the defensive end. And so while I agree with that person's perspective that that is that's the, the only version, way to use them. Yeah, that that's the best version. I don't think it's superior to the other options. Yeah. You see what I did there? What would you do there? I came off – I'm the person who, like, supposedly hates this guy irrationally, and I got you to criticize him, go hard at go harder at Rondo than even I did. So I'm going to go dust my shoulders <laughs> off for that one. Uh, this will not be the last time we talk about this. So, uh, yeah, to be continued. <laughs> uh, Lucas Astronaut writes, uh, hey, Anthony and Pete, really enjoy the show. Thank you. I was just wondering how you guys viewed LeBron's defense in comparison to the national narrative. Nationally, uh, the, the narrative is that he can be really influential. Influential. Oh, okay. National narrative can be really influential, and it had me thinking he was terrible on that end, too, until I watched Ben T- Taylor's video uh, over on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel about it's his defense. It's a great defense. channel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think his most recent, uh, in his most recent podcast at the time, uh, Pete mentioned that uh, one Bruno Caboclo three that broke the camel's back. And that just had me wondering what you guys thought of his defense as a whole. Um, 
So actually, it's interesting. I think a lot of why LeBron has been able to kind of slack off defensively was that he didn't really necessarily have a pair. Now, it's a physical thing too, right? Like he he doesn't mm-hmm. quite have it physically in the way that he has in years past. So you're going to have you're going to see some natural decline there. <clears throat> but I also think there was nobody on any of the teams that he's been in on the last like seven years or so, maybe even longer, that drove him to be better defensively. Like he didn't have a colleague or a peer that he would can somebody who he would consider a peer driving him and calling him out on stuff. And I think it's interesting right. now that he's playing with Anthony Davis, Jared Dudley is saying, no, actually LeBron is out here trying to set a tone on de- defense too in ways that he hasn't heard around the league or whatever. So I, I've, I found that interesting. And do I think LeBron's going to be a great defender this year? No. Do it all league defense is not going to happen, but can he be league average and then shut down whoever's in front of him? I think that's a fair expectation. I, so LeBron is still actually very good on the ball. In my yeah. opinion, he's a, he's he a, get not just like average. He's a very good on ball defender. Um, he is bad to good, uh, depending on the situation in other situations, he is bad at closing out to the three point line in the respect that he overhelps into the paint. And when I say overhelps, sometimes he just will in transition, you know, drop to the, you know, the low block and just never leave. So, it, yeah. you know, saying that it's help defense is maybe overselling the effort level that yeah. he gives. It's still, so he'll get he's beat delegating. On. He's just saying like, you go over there. <laughs> so his man will hit like his man has more open corner three opportunities. They have more offensive rebounding opportunities because LeBron won't put a body on it, on him uh, or probably more accurately, more cutting opportunities Mm -hmm. as a result of LeBron's inattention. Um, The, the Caboclo three that the listener is referring to that had actually, he, they were asking that was a Mike Conley, Jonas Valanciunas ball screen situation where they were, blitzing or hedging hard on Mike Conley and they were having LeBron rotate off of Caboclo to body up Valanciunas and they had done that the previous two possessions to great success because LeBron LeBron has some some small ball five in him right Mm -hmm. he's a strong dude he can stonewall a guy like Valanciunas on their role and then that's a eight foot floater that's contested as opposed to a three foot layup at the rim right Mm -hmm. Um, they had tried to do that the Grizzlies moved Caboclo from the dunker spot or, or maybe the weak side corner. I can't remember where they had him before. Basically they moved Caboclo to the strong side wing and LeBron stayed in the spot for the, the same defensive coverage that had worked the previous two plays and Caboclo, who was like a 28% three point shooter or something ended up hitting the three. So, mm-hmm. uh, like that particular play. And I asked Luke about that. Yep, there was, uh, that was, I, I remember you know, it. I rem- yeah. We talked about this recently. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so after the explanation it was like, Oh yeah, LeBron was doing what he was supposed to be doing on that play. And the 28% three point shooter knocked down a big wide open shot. Right. Um, so LeBron is a better defender than the national narrative gives him, but it's also very much broken up into on ball defense versus off ball. He had a nice possession against D'Angelo Russell, for example, on a switch where it forced him into a, you know, 22 foot jumper that barely grazed the rim. Mm-hmm. That was nicely contested. So yeah, Le- LeBron's got something left there for sure. It's just not, uh, you know, it, not always in every situation. Yep. 
All right, last question here. It's kind of an idealized Hail Mary. This is from Dano underscore Laker. Uh, says, great job, guys. Do you see Rondo doing the right thing as a smart veteran player he's supposed to be by going to Vogel and telling no. him that he should be the last no. point guard off the bench? <laughs> or at no, the very least, I, I, he should be playing only about 10 minutes a game and never share it with LeBron, with, on, the, with LeBron on the court? So, so I advocated crack on the last episode, and this is the downside to that. No, <laughs> no, seriously. No, man, it's not going to happen. Like, yeah. that would be great, but that's what we want. That's not what Rondo's going to want. Uh, it's also it's not even necessarily that like Rondo is being selfish in in doing this. He doesn't recognize his own slippage, right? Like if if LeBron doesn't even recognize that slippage, why would Rondo, right? Well, that that like self belief is a huge part of yeah being in the NBA in the first place. If you reach the point where you're like, man, I'm kind of garbage now, <laughs> like you're not in the NBA anymore, right? Yeah. Like, of course, Rondo doesn't think that about himself. Yeah. I remember, do you, do you have that kind of moment? Like the first time you, the the first time you recognize like, yeah, I'm, I just don't got it anymore. Uh, Oh, on the court. Yeah. There've been a couple of times where I've like tried to run. And it's usually like, I just don't have the wind to be able to run the court. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the way, like first couple plays, like, yeah, yeah I <laughs> still, still got, got this. Still got it. Three plays later. <laughs> I, I certainly don't have it anymore. <laughs> He's the fastest kid alive. Yes, that's um, right. <laughs> I, I have, I have two younger brothers and I am seven years older than the middle one and 13 years older than the, the youngest one. Oh, wow. And, uh, my, the, the middle brother, was entering high school as I was kind of like drinking my way through undergrad. So I remember the first time that like Andrew, when he was, tw- he was like getting ready to be like 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. I was about 25. I should have been in like the prime of my life. But uh, he said like, hey, can we go out and like train a little bit? Can we go play some one-on-one? I want to try out some new things. I'm, he, was, he was playing varsity basketball at the time. And I said, yeah, sure, whatever. We can we can try this out. I'm like hungover. I still smell like beer. And uh, he like he just outright smoked me. We played one on one and it was just and now the thing is, I'm five ten. At the time I was like decently athletic, not like not anything to write home about, but I was like okay as as an athlete. Andrew though is like six one with like really, really long arms and he right now is like a professional dancer. So he like he's like a really good athlete. Oh wow. Um and so like it was just it was a terrible matchup and I was like on my way out of being in decent shape anymore. And that was the moment that I recognized like, oh yeah, yeah, this is this is what feeling like old like feeling old feels like. And that does not get better as you it doesn't. It does now the next time I played him I beat the ever living piss out of him because like I, this was the first time I'd ever lost to my younger brother. Right. And like, I, I got to like remind him that sure. Like I, I still got it, but I felt so the, the game that I played him and I beat him, I played way too hard. I was like getting ready to throw up in the bathroom, like in, in, in the gym or whatever. It was just, it was a mess. I, I felt like I was going to die for like a week. Cause I was super sore. <laughs> you pushed myself sure. way too hard just out of the pride that comes with being the older brother. So, Good questions, everybody. Thank you guys very much for yeah, tuning good in. Good stuff, guys. Thank you. Uh, keep sending those questions in the form of a five-star review, and I promise we will get to them or at least try to. Uh, we are catching up to be able to, when when Sunday rolls around here for Monday's show, we'll be able to answer those questions on a mimosa show. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted as best we possibly can uh, as, as this 
Chinese and, and China and Lakers and NBA situation unfolds. Um, if we have any kind of crazy breaking news, we'll hop on here. I doubt we'll get anything like that. If The, the, the big breaking news would be that there isn't going to be a game or something like that. And I don't think that warrants an emergency podcast. But we will definitely uh, respond to it. And hopefully over the next few days we'll have a game to analyze and get back to talking more about basketball than about geopolitical subjects. So for now, have a great rest of your day. Make somebody else's. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. If you're listening to this right now, then you already like sports. And perhaps even you already like Los Angeles sports. Then, oh boy, do I have something for you. My name is Sarah, and I am the host of Locked On Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network's new expansion into NHL programming. I'll be bringing you shows five days a week covering the two-time Stanley Cup champion Los Angeles Kings as they continue the rebuild in hopes of achieving that elusive third Stanley Cup. You already know how Locked On works and what we have to offer, so let me give you a quick preview instead of three things you can expect this season from the Kings. First, chaos. Think that's not something to look forward to? Think again. The Kings spent last year being, admittedly, totally inept. They couldn't score goals or keep themselves from being scored on. But this season, with a new coach who aims to hold players accountable for their work on and off the ice, the Kings are looking to at least improve on the scoring part. They scored five goals in their first game of the season, and while they still didn't win, for the first time in a long time, it looked like they could at least be entertaining. Of course, given that they scored five goals and still lost, defense looks like it's going to be a challenge. Second, we've got drama. Last season, there was an abrupt coaching turnover, an interim coach who was in over his head, and almost every single player on the roster underachieved. At the end of the season, one of the players called some of their efforts that year pathetic. How can the Kings even top that? I have no idea, but I'm sure they're going to try. Look, let's not kid ourselves. The Kings aren't expected to be very good this year. So that means a whole season of questions and speculation on who's going to leave the team via trades and what kind of promising young players the team will receive back instead. And third, we've got some good old-fashioned rivalries. Even if the Kings struggle in the standings again this year, there's plenty of chances to cheer for them against their California competition, the Anaheim Ducks and the San Jose Sharks. And the newfound rivals, the Vegas Golden Knights, are already very easy to hate. Want to get a Kings fan mad? Then go talk about how Staples Center gets swarmed with Vegas fans every time the teams meet. If you have to hear one more time all of those people yelling night during the national anthem, like... Come on, talk about a team you love to hate. When any of these teams meet, you can always look forward to tons of action and lots of bad blood. So I'll be keeping tabs on the Los Angeles Kings all season long, five days a week, bringing you shows all about the team, their prospects, and what to expect next from them. You can follow along at Locked On LA Kings on Twitter, and make sure you subscribe to Locked On Los Angeles Kings on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find all of your favorite shows. Locked On Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.